This is The Union, the intersection between people, apps, and AI. We'll inspire and challenge you as we ask questions, uncover insights, and share inspiring stories about digital ecosystems and automation. Hey there, everyone. I'm Scott King, and that is Sam Abadir. Hey, Sam. Good to see you again, Scott. How are you? I'm doing good, doing good. Really excited to talk about third-party supply chain risk with you today mm-hmm. on the Union Podcast. So, um, so you you're already and ramped up on uh, on third parties, right? We previously talked about third-party IT risk. Yeah, I've done uh, a so lot of work about about third-party risk in the past, and IT is uh, one of the core factors. Yeah, I mean it's, I mean that's kind of where we live, right? I'm most familiar with the third party uh, IT risk, but, <clears throat> you know, uh, I'm going to revisit supply chain risk, right? And then my first software job was in supply chain planning. So, uh, so really excited to uh, revisit uh, the extended supply chains and relive some theory of constraints, right? So we'll talk about some of the constraints, but to, you know, just to level set everybody, let's talk a little bit about what third party supply chain risk is and maybe sure. why it's, you know, why is it important that companies measure this? Yeah. If you go back to our, our uh, last time that we visited, we talked about IT risk, right? We're really talking just about the data, things like that, that's coming on, coming along. And that's important to you building stuff and adding value to your customers. This is the actual supply chain. So it's parts, materials, other things like that. And um, it, there is an IT aspect to it, but this is actually getting the actual part that you might need uh, to build your system, to provide your service, uh, whatever that is. And without it, you can't move forward. So third-party supply chain risk is is uh, just as critical as IT risk. I mean, totally agree um, because you can't, you can't ship an incomplete product, right? Um, like you don't have happy customers when you do. <laughs> yeah. Like, and, and, you know, and there's, there's simple examples, right? You open mm-hmm. a Ikea box or a Lego set and you have a piece missing. Like it's not, it's not as critical as maybe not receiving or being able to buy like a vehicle, right? That's missing a computer chip. I guess it depends on who you ask. I mean, if you buy your six-year-old a, a Lego set and it's missing something, you can't fix it. That's the end of what they know, right? But <laughs> it, it put things in perspective, right? During uh, uh, the COVID crisis, right, all those Ford trucks were sitting out there without critical chips in them, and they couldn't ship them. And you know, there's people who needed to still work. Um, ambulances get built on these trucks. Uh, garbage trucks get built on these trucks. People, you know, plumbers still use these trucks to. Uh, haul parts around and fix things. Trucks are needed, so they couldn't ship without them. So it, uh, you know, just as that little Lego piece is critical to the six-year-old and their happiness, the uh, uh, you know the missing components from trucks is also very, very, very critical uh, to, well, frankly, to a larger part of the economy. Right, right. Especially, mm-hmm. uh, especially here in the states where we move around a lot. But uh, back when that was going. On, we weren't moving around that much, uh, but still, uh, you, you know, we felt the pain, right? Oh, a lot of us weren't moving around. I, you know, I actually had a guy come to my house last week. Uh, a part of my oven uh, broke, and I asked him, um, "Hey, were you were you busy during COVID? What did you do?" Because we heard a lot of people were 
uh, getting those PPP loans to provide stuff. And he goes, I was busier than ever. He was out in a truck every single day, bringing parts, um, fixing things. People were at home cooking. You probably saw everybody baking bread on Facebook or something like that. But uh, those components, those uh, systems in the house kept breaking. And there's a lot of people that were driving around during that during that period of time. Yeah, things. the whole uh, the home improvement uh, increase because we were stuck at home. People started mm -hmm. home improvement uh, projects. I know Lowe's and Home Depot got really, really busy. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And and their supply chain was affected, right? Because they had they had a supply, you know, a demand increase, uh, and yeah, be able to increase. yeah to be able to react to that, you know, requires some planning, uh, some risk mitigation. So what I mean, what do companies do day to day to monitor this third party supply chain risk? Like what kind of what do they do? Who does it? Like maybe what kind of tooling are they using uh, besides Microsoft well, Excel? You know, that's a complicated question. Um, and, and the reason it's complicated is because there's so many different facets and aspects to managing supply chain risk. And some of it is, where does your stuff come from? So, you know, there's a lot of stuff that comes from overseas. Um, there's a lot of things uh, that don't, that doesn't come from overseas. Like you go back to, to Home Depot, um, you know, lumber was in short, short supply. And it wasn't that, you know, the lumber was coming from overseas. It was most of it was, you know, North American sourced, but the machinery to cut it down was coming from overseas or uh, parts of it were, you know, parts are coming from overseas. So we actually have that supply chain aspect, but third party supply chain risk is even bigger because think about the industry that you're in right now. And, um, you probably have competitors, right? And those competitors might also buy from your same suppliers. There's a lot of companies who look at vertical integration as a strategic, uh, as a strategic game, right? As a strategic advantage, and they might buy your supplier. That is a risk to you. What if they raise your prices? What if they decide not to supply you anymore? Um, you know, there's there's uh, all sorts of things. What if they buy it and then they put it out of business? Actually, one of my favorite beers was bought by a larger beer company and then promptly put out of business because it was uh, causing so many problems for the uh, for the company that actually acquired it. So, you know, there's that one aspect. There's other aspects too. Uh, there's a lot of um, laws around there. The Department of Justice is really keen on making sure that you run your business in an up and up way. And that's a good thing for everybody. We don't like it when we hear about bribes or corruption, political influence or anything like that because as consumers, we know that that's not fair. And we also know that we're not going to get the best value or the newest innovations and things like that. So <clears throat> there's actually a lot of laws out there that um, prevent you from buying from what's called PEPs or politically exposed people. Uh, there's a lot of laws out there that make sure that you're not buying things from um, people that are companies that are on sanctions lists from, from other countries, things like that. So there's a lot of things that you have to look at in your supply chain. And, you know, you would ask Scott, who does this? And, and it kind of is all over the board. And sadly, in many companies, the answer is nobody's doing it. Um, a lot of people find a lot of this stuff out in a reactionary way. In order to do this effectively, you still have to do all those IT assessments that we talked about in the last time that we chatted here on the union. But 
you also have to do all of these other assessments. You have to bring in the news feeds. You have to do all of this. And, and a lot of people are like, oh yeah, that's easy, that's easy. And then when you know the rubber hits the road, you find that there's an awful lot of noise in there. So it, it takes a lot of thought of what you wanna do and how it is you wanna go do it. There's a lot of challenges. It's still all very important though. So you said, you said uh, no one's doing it, but you know maybe they're reading the news, and I would mm -hmm. I would imagine this is like like giant geopolitical things, like you know the war in Ukraine or something like that. I don't know. Um, That's certainly what, impacted uh, like like grain supplies and things like that. Oh Absolutely. yeah. Mm -hmm. What what type of time frame were you thinking about? So when you said, "Hey, I'm watching the news." Is this, uh, uh, I'm, I'm looking at this daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, like how, how reactionary uh, would, would you assume that companies need to, to be to monitor that effectively? Well, I said nobody's doing it. I, I don't think many people are doing it well. I think some people are probably doing it well, but it really depends on what it is that you're doing. I mean, if you're a baker and you know that all of your grain is is uh, you know is coming from you know a, a portion of Eastern Europe or a significant portion of the world's grains coming from Eastern Europe, and that source gets cut off, what is it that you do? I actually think there's a whole bunch of companies today that aren't looking at where lithium is supp is supplied from. Lithium has two major sources in the world, right? There's there's some in China, and there's some in South America, and the stuff that's in South America is at the top of a bunch of mountains and you actually need a lot of water to to uh, to mine lithium. So effectively, most of the lithium in the world is coming from China. That's a huge concentration risk of the supply of lithium. Some people are probably looking at that, but I think there's a lot of people who are not looking at that. So how often do you have to look at the news? It really depends on what the risk is that, that um, your supplier brings to you. And you have to sit there and evaluate that internally so you can figure out what is it that you have to look at and how often you have to look at that. So, Okay, so that makes sense. Uh, especially lithium, right? I think that's mm -hmm. probably a good example. Everybody listening to this podcast, uh, I would probably 100% has lithium, right? Because you're listening sure. to it on your laptop or your iPhone. Yeah. Right, or if you drive a, if you drive an EV, that's an, a lithium battery inside your car. Yeah, I mean that's mm -hmm. it's everywhere. So how, like, well, how are they how are they going to mitigate that risk, right? So, the 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 grain example, like mm -hmm. I get right. Um, if I'm a baker, I, w I would imagine there's not a lot of bakers listening to the Union podcast since we talk about AI all the time. Just too bad. Uh, but I mean, maybe they, you know. Who knows, right? Uh, you know, going to the mitigation though, it, it's no matter who you are or how frequently you have to, you've decided that you have to, you know, watch and, and uh, manage and track the news or run assessments or anything like that. It comes down to a couple of core steps, right? Figure out what's your process, automate your process as much as possible. And when you can automate it, um, you have to make sure that you're in danger of not um, giving yourself a tidal wave of noise, right? So, um, so what do so you mean you by that? To, um, 
Tidal, like give yourself a tidal wave of noise. So this sounds like a self-imposed problem. So what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, I, I once worked with a, um, a third party um, threat assessment uh, company, right? And they gave me threat assessments of my entire IT uh, landscape. And I just kept getting one by one by one by one email alerts of here's a threat, here's a threat, here's a threat, here's a threat. And if I was, and every time I read one, I'd be like, oh, that's not really important to me. That's not important to me. That's not important to me. And 94 out of 100 of them were not important to me, but I had to go through all of them. It was just a lot of noise that was sent my way. Uh, I needed something smarter. I needed something, oh, frankly, I needed AI. I needed AI to go through and read all these things and identify which threats actually matched up to my environment and to the technology I had in my environment. And that would that would have cut out at least 80% of, of the things. And then if it was a little bit smarter and can understand uh, where the technology lived in my environment, that would have just only brought the six important things to me daily. And I could focus on that. Does that make sense? I mean, that yeah, that makes sense, especially in... Uh you know, IT threat landscape. Right. Um, because... Same type of thing with supply chain, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, if I'm just bringing in news of my major supplier, I'm going to see every stock update. I'm going to see um, <clears throat> every PR announcement that they put out. I'm going to see everything versus, um, you know, geopolitical news related specifically to them or uh, sanction news specifically to them. And there are a couple services that can focus down on one thing, but I really should take a broader look at that and be able to funnel in sources of information everywhere that can um, look for the things that are really just important to what I need. So I know how to make a plan. I know how to react or I know how to be proactive with my next steps. And it seems like that would only become more prevalent, right? Because people... People don't retire systems or feeds that you were talking about, threat mm -hmm. feeds. Um, they keep adding systems. So it's becoming more mm -hmm. and more complex, and I've got less and less people to do it. Um, and then throw in the, the third-party suppliers. They're, they have the same issue too, right? I mean, their yeah, supply chain is, is changing, and their customer base is changing, and mergers and acquisitions yeah. Um, nth party is you've just complicated things so much yeah. more but think about the news right i mean <laughs> when you see the news and some something happens something bad happens and then you have all these um armchair quarterbacks that have 2020 hindsight they're like you should have known right or say armchair quarterbacks really they're more armchair regulators and armchair lawyers you should have known the data was there there's a lot of data out there and there's a lot of information out there. And sometimes it's just really difficult, especially in a cost-effective manner to find out what's important. So that is interesting in a cost-effective manner. Is this, mm -hmm. is this a high cost for organizations to, uh, to monitor and manage the supply chain risk? Manually, you'll get overwhelmed. And, no. and every time you add a person, you're going to increase the opportunity for error. So uh, it can be the cost around third-party risk management 
can easily explode. I remember when I first heard about third-party risk management, I'm like, oh, this is simple. Send out a spreadsheet and ask the information and get it back. Well, what happens when you have 100 suppliers? Now what happens when your chief risk officer or your board of director or you're making that, that quarterly report for those guys wants to know it by, um, by spend or by tier or by risk level. And as soon as you spend hours or days or literally weeks putting that information together across the 150 vendors that you've chosen, not the 150 vendors that you have, because you might actually have five or six or 700 vendors, but the 150 vendors you've chosen, you've massaged all of those spreadsheets every single time creating an opportunity to put error in there. Um, now they ask for it trended over a three-year period or they ask for a different slice and you've basically got to start over. It becomes very, very, very complex. Um, so, you know, doing things manually leaves room for error and can explode your cost. So having automated, simple, uh, data-driven ways to uh, to bring this to bring this to you know bring this information in a meaningful way to your risk program is super super important. Adding AI to it is frankly super important too. If you can get over that hurdle of developing a model and then implementing the model, right? Because the development of the model can become very costly, and then it just nine out of ten times it becomes shelfware because nobody knows how to implement the model after you've actually put it in. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, and it, you know, it really makes sense from our perspective, right? Uh, orchestrate mm -hmm. a process, add AI, uh, mm -hmm. get good, clean data. I think that is, uh, uh, it's a good way to simplify the process and it's a good way for us to, uh, to wrap up on third party supply chain risk, right? It, it really is right. I mean, if, if you can have all the tools, only present you with the things that are that it knows is important and all the things that it thinks it could be important. Now you get to spend your time managing risk versus shoveling through data. Right. You've, right. you've made your job a happier job and you've made it a more productive job. You brought okay. value to your organization. All right. Well, perfect, Sam. Well, thanks so much for your time on uh, third party supply chain risk. If anybody is interested in uh, and taking a look how, um, you know, we could help you actually orchestrate a process. Uh, mm -hmm. we, we know a thing or two about that, but I appreciate it, Sam. I kind of geek out on this, so let me know. I'm happy to talk. All right. Thanks so much. See you next time. Hey, we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to The Union. I hope it was insightful and caused you to think about how you can influence technical advancements at your company. Please subscribe to the Union Podcast Series on your favorite podcast player to listen to past and future episodes. If you have a question for any of us or have a suggestion for the show, please email me at scott at Thanks for listening.